0: Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the Kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, hey, I'm so glad you're here this morning. I want to jump right into the Word in just a moment. Uh, I've, I've noticed something. I don't want you to raise hands. I don't want you to point your finger at a spouse or someone across the room. I don't want to fight to start out. In, in, in church, so I don't want you to say things like, like, that's me or that's you. But I've discovered when I talk to most married couples, that in every home of a married couple, usually there's one person who considers themselves to be the neat freak, and the other one who considers themselves to be less than the neat freak. Seldom have I met two people who would say, no, no, we are equally, we're on level ground when it comes to our, our passion for organization and cleanliness. Would that be a fair statement to say? I'm not asking you to identify which one you are. Now, I will tell you, I will air my laundry. In our relationship in my house, my wife is the neat freak. She is. But I like things, I like things clean too. The problem is, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being where the pigs live, and 10 being like super clean, eat off the floor, my wife likes for our house to be close to a 10. I am satisfied if the cleanliness of our house is like a 7.5. And so, do you understand where a little bit of, of, of tension can come? Because anytime our house is less than a 10, she feels tension she thinks something needs to be done. As as long as I'm like, it's a 7.5 or above, it all looks good, right? And so by the time I see something that that has dropped to a 7.5, and I'm just like, oh, we need to do something. She's been doing something for a long time, and that can create frustration in relationships. Man, I think your quietness is testifying that this happens at your house, too. But if you want to see both she and I go into overdrive, if you want to see us get on the same page, there's a statement that will get us on the same page. Here's the statement. Someone's coming over. And now all of a sudden what was good enough for the last... You know, three days or three weeks or three months or three years perhaps, what was good enough for me suddenly isn't good enough. All of a sudden, I began to be keenly aware of things that were sitting on the floor that have maybe been there on, on my part of the bed or whatever, maybe for weeks that didn't bother me, but they bothered her. And maybe she's told me 10 times to pick them up that all of a sudden I realized that maybe I should pick that up. And it's all because I'm preparing for something or someone. This morning, I want to talk to you about how to prepare for something, how to prepare for someone, and it's perhaps the most crucial preparation any of us can make. This morning, I want to talk to you about preparing for the coming of Jesus. One of the most critical, pivotal parts of our faith is the fact that Jesus did not just Come to earth, live a perfect life, die a sacrificial death, and was raised again on the third day. Though all of that is true, all of it will short circuit if you don't also believe the truth that one day Jesus will come. Again, I understand that that is to the unbelieving mind that may seem far fetched, it may seem foreign, it may seem impossible, it may seem out there. But here's what I've discovered when it comes to faith that some of the most crucial, and critical, and pivotal parts of our faith are also the most most uh, most hardest parts, impossible parts to believe. Part of the Christian faith that we have to believe, or you're going to short-circuit the whole thing, is that, you know, Jesus was born of a virgin. If you don't believe that, you're going to short-circuit a lot of his ability to provide the, the, the forgiveness and the atonement. If you don't believe he lived a sacrificial life, then he just disqualified himself. I'm sorry, a perfect life. He just disqualified himself from the sacrifice he made. And if you don't believe that he is coming again, you're going to miss out on the ability to correctly interpret the word of God. Yes. Did you know the whole New Testament, one of the, if you're going to read your Bible and interpret it correctly, you must, you must see life through the lens that the original writers saw life through And here's what they believed. They believed that Jesus could come at any moment, and that moment was probably sooner rather than later. To overlook this event will cause your faith to falter under the pressure of life. See, this truth doesn't just give us hope beyond life. And I think this is where maybe sometimes even believers mess up, when we start talking about eternity or our heaven or the coming of Christ, we, we kind of put that in the category of, well, that is my hope for when this life is over. But friends, I want to tell you, that is not hope for when this life is over. That is the hope that gets us through this life right now, that when people say this is the end or it's finished or it's over or there's nothing more that can happen or people can do, I want to tell you, it's the hope of heaven that gives us hope here on earth. So I want to talk about how can we prepare for the coming of the Lord. And as we read our text today, you're going to hear some attitudes that maybe you have thought or you heard someone else say, and you're going to discover that it's not a thought or an attitude or a problem people are are bringing up in 2023. You're going to find out that people were bringing up these same thoughts, you know, 30 years after the, the death of Jesus. So let's look at our text, 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want, to recall, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord Jesus and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say... Where is the coming he's promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything has gone on as it has since the beginning of creation. Have you ever heard someone just pretend like, live like, say that life is just a circle of life, what has been, will be, what has been, will be again, what experience, it's just, in life is just a circle, it's just an ongoing, 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 ongoing process, uh, uh, process. Nothing will ever change. They'll say that. That's what they'll say. But they deliberately forget. Here's what the word says. They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction for ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you. Aren't you glad God's patient with you? He's patient with you. Listen to this. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, here's a big question of the morning. What kind of people should we be? What kind of people, what kind of life should I live? Here's the answer. You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. But in keeping with this promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Let's, let's stop right there. We'll finish the rest of this text as we go through the message. But Father, I pray this morning, in the next few minutes of time, that you'll prepare our hearts and our lives to receive you. We understand that clearly you came. You came out of love for us. You came with a heart to reconcile all of us who were far from God so that we could be near to God. But Lord, You also want to take our relationship with you to a whole other level, that we will be with you, not just in this life, but through eternity. Lord, I pray that today you will help me speak the word to prepare our hearts and our lives for that reality. Lord, anoint me above my own ability. I pray you'll also open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to hear what the Holy Spirit would say to us this morning, and we'll give you praise for that. We'll give you thanks for that as we commit ourselves to respond to your word this morning. Everybody in the house say amen. Peter has just spent... This whole letter, we've been preaching through First and 2 Peter for the last two months or three months, however long it's been. He's been talking about defending the faith, exposing those who preach false gospel, how important it is to, to cling to the pure word of God and, and how to watch out for false teachers. And he says all of that, but now here it is. He, he comes down to the why. Why has he been so adamant about not allowing substitutes. Why has he been so adamant about sticking to the Word of God? Why has he been so adamant about, about opposing those who would dilute the Word of God or, or, or take the Word of God and lead you off course? Here's why. He says, I've been telling you all of those things because one day we will all stand before the Lord. Right? One day, all of this that seems to be going and ongoing and over and over again, the circle of life, as people would call it, at some day there's going to be an abrupt end to the circle of life, and the abrupt end is going to come when Jesus breaks the clouds of heaven. He steps into the air, and all of those who live on planet Earth will see him. The Word says that every eye will behold him, and those of us who live for him will be with him for eternity. But if we spend so much time preparing for when our friends, our neighbors, our strangers come to our house, how much more should we prepare for this great event of the church? How, what kind of lives ought we to live? I'll tell you what kind of lives we ought to live. We ought to live lives that are prepared lives. Lives that are prepared to meet the Lord. Well, pastor, how do I live that kind of life? That's the question I want to answer this morning. The first thing we got to talk about, and Peter's mentioned this over and over again. I've mentioned this in multiple messages, and I hate to be redundant, but when the word repeats it, I'm going to repeat it, all right? Here's the first thing, is you have to decide that I'm not going to be distracted or defeated or deceived by scoffers. What is the definition of a scoffer? That's not a word I use every day. But a scoffer is simply a person who makes fun of someone else's religious beliefs in the hopes of getting them to abandon them. I'm sure some of these teenagers have ran into some scoffers at school. Right? I'm sure many of you adults have ran into some scoffers at work. I'll never forget. I think I've told this story before. The first time someone ever ever used a a profanity to define me was based on my faith i was trying to share my faith with someone and someone called me a religious and i'll let you fill in the blank because uh, i can't say it in this room but but, uh, but but they were they were a scoffer they were trying to diffuse and, and and minimize their responsibility to hear the gospel i was sharing with them and so they scoffed at me i'm sure some of you have had people scoff at you but but the word says they come Trying to encourage you to ditch your faith, ditch your commitment to God, ditch your commitment to the things of God, and they tell you if you'll ditch what you call a commitment to the Lord, then you can enjoy something better. The problem is they never deliver the better, right? You know, in the book of Genesis, the enemy came to Eve sort of scoffing. You can almost hear a little bit of chuckle in the enemy's voice when he tempts Eve to take a bite of that forbidden fruit. And Eve rightfully says, hey, I, I can't do this for the day I take of this, uh, you know, we'll die. And you can almost hear a chuckle when the, when the serpent says, oh, you're sure, surely you're not going to die. For in that moment that you eat it, you'll be like the Lord. He begins to scoff at her, hoping she will abandon, abandon the word of the Lord. In 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse number 15. The armies of the enemy surrounded the people of God, and this is what they said in the ears of of all the people, when they wanted to override this city. Hezekiah was challenging the people to believe in God, to trust in him. But the opposing army said this, don't let Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you like this. Don't believe him, for no good, no God of any nation has been able to deliver his people out of the hand of my predecessors. How much less will your God deliver you? Here's what I'm saying this morning. Scoffers will always come to get you to to abandon or doubt your faith. See, the Word of God, we know the Word comes by what? Hearing the Word of God. I've often, said that, I've often heard people say that just as faith comes by hearing the Word of God, faith often departs by hearing the Word of people or the hear, hearing the Word of man. So, so the enemy will try to get you to doubt your faith by getting you to embrace the Word of people. And look at, listen to what 2 Peter chapter 3 five says. It says, scoffers deliberately forget, or you might say they conveniently forget what God has done in his past and what he's done in our lives to prove who he is, to prove that he always keeps his word. Scoffers always try to provide doubt. I wonder how many scoffers each of us have in our lives today. I can tell you, I've, I've got a few, you've got a few. If you're on social media, you've got a few, right? They're everywhere. Most of our, our news outlets today are scoffers. Many of the textbooks that are being shipped to our school system across the world today, they're scoffing at the things of God. They're scoffing at the people of God. They're scoffing at the faith, uh, faith in Jesus Christ. They're trying to, to cause doubt to your faith every single day. And my word to you this morning is this, church, if we're going to be ready for the Lord's coming, we must learn to not be distracted or deceived when scoffers come because, friends, they're coming. right? They're here. They were there in Peter's day, and they've never left the building. Number two, we have to remember if we're going to be ready, we have to remember that time is working for us and not against us. You ever feel like your life is being lived just trying to beat the clock? Like, you ever feel like you just live under a perpetual deadline? I got to get this done by Monday or by Tuesday or by Wednesday or by Friday. I, I got to get this done by four o'clock. And, and, and you're like, so, sometimes you're so busy just trying to get things done. You feel like time is working against you. I feel like my whole life, time has always been working against me. But, but, but Peter totally changes. A view of time. He says time isn't always working against you. Actually, time is working for you. Time has a way of talking to us like scoffers do. Time will tell you that you're losing. Time will tell you that nothing ever changes. Time will tell you that you've done enough or you haven't done enough. Time will tell you that you're not enough or you can never do enough. Any of you ever have, like, go in the morning over a birthday? Maybe you turned 30 or 40 or 50. I remember when I turned 30. 30 was bad for me. 30 was horrible. I laugh at it now because I realized I was just getting started when I was 30. But, <laughs> but, but I'll never forget, when I, when I was 30, our, our students, I was a youth pastor at the time, our, our students broke into my office and filled it with black balloons, put a a a cane on my desk, just you know, a walk. It's just they just like were just tormenting me because they knew I had mental anguish about my 30th birthday. The reason I had mental anguish is because I had this list that I made when I was eighteen about all the things I was gonna get done by the time I was thirty and my list had not been checked off. It was it was bad. We can live our life that way, thinking, man, I'm just not, a, time is working against me. But can I tell you, time, scoffers will say that time says that God is forgotten. Maybe you've heard this lie before. Have you ever heard time tell you that you've been forgotten? If God was going to use me, he would have used me by now. If God was going to help me, he would have helped me by now. If God was going to save my son or my daughter, he would have saved them by now. If God was going to open this door, he would have opened it by now. If God was going to restore this part of my life, he would have done it by now. If God was going to come again, he would have already appeared by now. Do you understand, do you realize how time can speak to us some pretty deadly things? But the Lord says time is not always working against you. Uh, On the flip side, time is actually working for you. Every time we have, every tick of the clock that we get added to our life is evidence that God's mercy is still extended to you. God's mercy is still open to you. He's available to you. God's still redeeming you. God's still in the restoration business. Every time that we spend on planet Earth, it is an extension of God's mercy and grace to us. It's hard. It's easy. It's easy to believe that time is speaking to us, that that God has forgotten us, but I would I would say this way it's actually a moment that God is still working on your behalf. You know, in 1988, a guy wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Return in 1988. How many of you read that book? Are you remember it? I didn't read it, I just saw the cover. I remember, the, uh, I remember the conversation about it. I remember I prayed extra hard just in case because he didn't just say, he didn't just say it was going to happen in 1980, 1988. He actually gave a date. And I remember when the date came. I just prayed a little bit extra hard that day. It's like, you know, and my dad told me, he said, son, the one thing I can promise you for sure is it won't be today. I said, well, why won't it be today, dad? I mean, this guy said there's 88 reasons why he's going to come today. And dad said, well, you know, the Bible also says that the hour and the day no man knows, right? So if, 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 if he's saying it today, it's today, then it's definitely not today. might be tomorrow, but it's not today. But, and I hope you can live with what I'm about to say, I, I have some selfish reasons that I'm glad he didn't come in 1988. Pastor, why would you say that? I mean... There's been some hard things that's happened in my life since 1988. I've buried my mother, buried my father. Me and I lost lost a child through miscarriage. We've had a lot of pains. We've had a lot of disappointments. I was looking through my files last week. I think since 1988, I've preached about 63 funerals. Most of those are people who I dearly loved and valued. It's been a lot of hurtful things. I've been betrayed since then. I've been hurt by people. I've probably hurt people. But you know what? I've also met my wife since then. I've been given two beautiful children that I hope I get to spend eternity with. I guess I would just to say it this way. Earth has gotten harder, but heaven's gotten sweeter. Amen? And the only reason that heaven's gotten sweeter, because I'll be honest with you, in 1988, I didn't really have a whole lot of appeal to go there. Like, I, I didn't know many people there. It's like going to a new school. It's kind of intimidating. But now, heaven is sweety, sweeter, even though... Earth gets a little bit harder and I have to understand that every day I live on on planet Earth is not a day that God has forgotten me but it's another day that God is working for me so that heaven keeps getting sweeter and sweeter. My reward keeps getting greater and greater and His faithfulness keeps keeps showing up more and more as I live for Him. So it changes the way we see time. Every day Day on earth is evidence that God wishes none would perish but all would come to repentance. Time is evidence that God is reaching out to you and drawing you and drawing me. If you're far from God this morning, can I tell you the fact that you have breath in your lungs and your clock is still ticking and you can still read it is evidence that God's heart for you has not changed. He loves you. I was on Facebook this past week, and a friend of mine had this on his his uh, on his feed. He said the most important role of every parent is to prepare their children to stand before God. And I read that, and, and I, you know, for those of you new to our church, we've got a a five year old and a eight year old, kindergartner and a third grader, and we've had a lot of conversations. Hey, let's make sure we're preparing them for college. Let's make sure we're preparing them for, for, uh, for life. Making sure they're preparing them for whatever the next thing is. But the greatest preparation we can make is making sure that we're preparing our loved ones for the fact that we will all stand before the Lord. My kid may or may not go to college, but they will stand before the Lord. My daughter may or may not have a career as a whatever she wants to, but she will stand before the Lord. She may have 16 years. She may have 65 years. It doesn't matter. The one thing that is certain in this life is she will stand before the Lord. So I can't view time as a curse. I have to view it as an opportunity to do the most I can with those that I can while God has given me this day. So time may seem like it's working against me but it's actually a gift for me to work for Him. Yeah. Thirdly, I have to embrace the certainty of His coming. I don't know if you, I, I tried to emphasize while I was reading our scripture a few minutes ago, I tried to emphasize how many times the word will came up in that scripture. Did you pick up on that? The Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens and the earth will disappear with a roar. The elements Will be destroyed, not might, maybes. No, no. Over and over again, the writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses this phrase will, certainty. We went shopping yesterday, me and the kids, and Megan. And we went in the store, and the store was decorated for fall. Fall. Wasn't the 4th of July like this week? and they've got 20-foot inflatable pumpkins for sale. And my girls were laughing. They were like, why are they? This is crazy. It's summertime. You know why they're doing that? Because they're certain fall is coming. They're doing things that right now makes no sense to me. But they're doing it. They're preparing because they're certain that fall is coming. When we embrace the certainty of His coming, we will start making preparations that other people may not understand. They may mock. They may say that's unnecessary. But we're doing it because we understand we're all going to stand before the Lord, that Jesus might, it's not that He might come, it's certain He's coming. I started to title this message uh, Ready or Not, Here I Come. Because that's kind of a picture of the second coming of the Lord. It's ready or not. He's coming. Me and my kids, they love to play hide and go seek. And how many know when you're done counting, the phrase you're supposed to say before you go looking is what? Ready or not. Here I come. Can I tell you, the Lord has already given us the instruction that He is coming. He's already said, the ready or not, I'm coming. It'd be easy to say, well, pastor, if every day I'm alive, is an extension of God's grace, an extension of His mercy, if every day that I live, is an opportunity for, for me to know Him better and for more and more people to be welcomed to the kingdom, if, if it's true that the kingdom of God is expanding every day and there's more mercy being extended, why would He ever come? Why would, why would there ever be an end? Well, we get that answer in Matthew chapter 24, verse number 14. Jesus said, and this gospel will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end, look at that, will come. Did you know there's a, there's a, there's a date on God's calendar when he's coming? Anyone in the room like math? Any math nerds in the room? I don't know if they make pills to fix that or not, but, <laughs> but but I'll never forget when I was in school. Do you remember word problems? Word problems? The reason I hated the ACT was because it was crammed, packed, full of words. I kind of like math, but I hate word problems. And word problems, if you don't know what I'm talking about, they're, they're kind of like this. If a train is traveling 50 miles an hour, and he leaves the station at 8 a.m., and it stops for five minutes twice to pick up passengers, what time will it arrive at its destination 80 miles away? When I read that question, two things pop in my head. Number one, I know I can figure it out. Number two, I don't want to. <laughs> Here, here's my point. If we as humans can calculate how long it takes a train with certain stops to get from point A to point B in a certain amount of time, how many understand that our Heavenly Father knows how long it's going to take the gospel to go from its beginning to every tribe and nation? Sometimes we, we, have, this, we have this idea in our head that no one knows when the Lord's coming back. That's not entirely true. God knows. There is a date and a time on God's calendar. We get that from Matthew 24, verse number 36. It says, no one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels of heaven nor the sun, but listen to this, but only the Father. See, He knows. God's not just waiting Till it feels right. He's not just waiting till stars align. He's waiting for his word to be fulfilled. And he knows when that's going to happen. How then should we live? That's the question. And the answer is real easy. Number four, we have to live ready. Since everything will be destroyed, What kind of people should we be? Well, there's a few things the Scripture teaches us. Number one, we should live with the reality that stuff doesn't last. How many understand stuff doesn't last? I bought some brand new stuff last week. My stuff was destroyed by that big windstorm two Sundays ago. It got broke, so I bought new stuff. And some of my new stuff is broke again. I'm not against new stuff, it just doesn't last. So therefore, I'm going to live with the reality that stuff that sometimes how you understand you can get consumed with stuff. Right? I remember 2 years ago, I had to have this phone because it was the newest and the baddest and the quickest and it was all and 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 let's just be honest. My friends had one. So, I had to have one. I couldn't be the, you know, low-tech guy in the group. I had to have one. And here I am. You know what? This thing's getting kind of slow. And my friends have newer ones. So I need another one. Do you understand the, the cycle, that, uh, how easy it is to get on the, spend your life on stuff that doesn't last? And, and Peter asked the question, so what kind of people should you be? He's not preaching to get stuff, but he says you got to have your stuff in the right perspective. Then he goes on to say this, and you should live Holy lives. Well, what does that live? What what does that mean? What does holy live? I mean, I've had people tell me, well, you know, holy means that you dress a certain way, you certain parts of your hair that you don't cut, which kind of knocks me out. There's there's, you know, when I was a kid, being holy meant you didn't. If you're a guy, you didn't wear shorts. anybody remember those days? When I went to youth camp. Brother Joey, when I went to youth camp, we wore jeans during the daytime, right? Don't wear wear the, mm -mm. you weren't holy if you were. I'm glad we got over that one. If you're not over that one, I I won't bring it up again, right? But, But it was all this outward stuff. But can I tell you, holiness isn't about the outward. It starts with the inward. It starts with the inward desire that I want to please God. And if it pleases him, that's what I want to do. And if it doesn't please him, then I don't want to do it. Holiness at the basic, basic premise simply means these two words. Set apart. It means I'm set apart for God. Sometimes we read through the Old Testament, we see all these requirements that God had. On on the people of God, and it's all these external things that God asks of His people. Why did He ask of His people to be that? Why? Because He wanted them to be set apart. He wanted them to be different. But He also said, one day I'm going to take this these laws that are written on stone. I'm going to write them on the hearts of men. I'm going to move holiness from being an outside job to an inside job. Can I tell you? God is still in the process of looking for a holy people that will say, Lord, would You write on my heart what You want to be seen and what on the inside of my heart, let it manifest to the outside of my life. That's what it means to be holiness, set apart. It belongs to God. I got a great example I'm going to skip. It'll keep me out of trouble because I had to do with Megan. But if you want to see me later, I'll tell you a great, great thing about holiness. But Romans 12 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, not suggest, urge you, This is New Testament scripture, by the way. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Did you know holiness is a direct example of how how submitted To the work of the Holy Spirit, you really are. Didn't Jesus say, when the Holy Spirit comes, that he will lead you and guide you and teach you all things? So the Holy Spirit leads me to live a life that brings glory and honor in him. So you live ready. And you live ready by looking forward. So, dear friends, since you're looking forward, looking forward gives hope, gives you motivation and five, number, number five, Megan, if you want to come. How to prepare for the return of Jesus. Realize that waiting time is serving time. Look at verse number 14. So you're looking forward to his return. You make every effort to be found spotless. What's that next word? Blameless. Sometimes if we're not careful, we think that spotless and blameless are the same things, but they're totally not. Spotless means this, I've kept myself clean. I've allowed, I've allowed God to purify me, cleanse me, so I'm in the eyes of God. I'm, I'm clean before Him. I'm not touching what He says not to touch. Blameless, blameless is the next step. It's not that I'm just not going where I shouldn't go, but it's now it's, it goes from passive to active. But now I'm, I'm doing what God's Called me to do. It's not that I'm just staying away, but I'm going to where God tells me to go. I'm serving, I'm doing, I'm, I'm investing, I'm spending my life as God calls me to spend. You know, Jesus told this crowd one day about the parable of the talents. You've heard the story of one, one servant, he gave five talents, the other one, he gave two, the other one, he gave one. He, you know, the guy that had five, what do you do? He went made five more, the guy's given two. Went out, invested it, made two more. The guy who was given one, he was spotless. He didn't lose it. He buried it. And when the master came back, he said, Look, here it is. Let me shine it up. Spotless, just like you gave it to me. He was spotless, but he wasn't blameless. Why was he not blameless? Because he tried to just preserve what God gave him instead of using what God gave him. Right? So part of preparing includes investing, spending, using our life. Waiting time is not like when you're waiting on a bus, watching the clock. I wonder if it's today. No, no, waiting time is serving time. That's why 2 Peter chapter 3, I'll end it right here. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, I thought this was a great place to start stop today because I, I feel like that sentence is tr- true for probably most of you. You already know everything I've said today, but knowing that, listen to what Peter says, be on your guard so you will not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but instead grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and honor forever. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? certainty Jesus is coming again if you come to our membership class someday you're going to discover we believe four things that we just will not budge on we got to be be saved we got to have a right relationship with God we believe in the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit we believe in the healing that God can heal every hurt and heal every heart heal every life And the fourth thing is that we believe Jesus is coming again. If you miss any of those, you're going to miss out on what God has for you. So here's the message this morning in a nutshell. Number one, we've got to live ready. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Is your heart right with God? The fact that we are still breathing, our clock is still ticking, that we have this time of worship and reflection together today, it simply means this, that God doesn't mean that God's forgotten you or he's indifferent to you. It means that God still loves you and he wants to redeem and restore your life. And this morning, if you would say, Pastor, I am far from God. I am far from God. But you have a desire to be near to God. You you have a desire to go from living life wondering to living life ready. I would love to lead you in a prayer. I will not embarrass you, call you forward the things. I just love to include you in a prayer in just a moment. If you say, Pastor, I'm far from God, but today I want to change that. Would you slip a hand real quick, so that's me, Pastor, pray for me. Amen? Amen? I want to ask everyone in the room to say this prayer with me. You've heard me say a thousand times, repeating a prayer never changed anyone, but saying a prayer from your heart can change everyone. So today I feel just take this prayer, use it as a pattern to express your heart to the Lord. It can change your life forever. So you should pray with me this morning. Dear Jesus, thank you for speaking to me today. I understand that the desire I have to serve you did not come from me. It's a result of your spirit speaking to me, exposing my need of you today. Today I'll respond. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, cleanse me of my past, change my life. From this day forward, I'm going to follow you. I believe you're the Son of God, Jesus. I believe you died. I believe you you rose again. And I believe you're coming again. And I want to be ready. Thank you for making me ready. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap with every person? Look. Raise your hand today. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you're making that decision for the first time, you're wondering what do I'll do now, if you'll stop by the Connect desk on your way out, we have a gift we'd love to give to you. Simply, what do I'll do now that I'm a Christ follower. But the rest of us, hey, I want to speak to you this morning. Hold tight to things that are eternal. Hold loosely to things that are temporary. And don't get those confused. And remember that every day we have is an opportunity for us to serve God. So, Father, bless the people today. Lord, bless them. Keep them. Let your face shine upon them. Give them peace. Give them joy. Give them strength, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Should you give the Lord a hand clap for his word today? And God bless you. We love you. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.